Finally got to uh, put the air mattress away today. That was good. Oh, nice. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm glad that your partner has recovered. Yeah. The On Sunday, he had a test that had a really faint line, uh, but that's still positive. So we waited uh, until today where he tested again, and we got what only the the control line nice which means hell yeah the test was negative so glad to hear it me too because honestly it fucking sucks like i i get that like i don't know it's it's an inconvenience and all but it was totally necessary you know like quarantining in the house and always wearing masks while around each other but you know what i didn't get covid while my partner had covid and uh so just want to point out how well uh you know non-pharmaceutical interventions actually work and being able to test consistently works although the only reason we were able to test consistently is because we saved all of our tests that we got from the fucking postal service oh yeah i still have a bunch of those sitting around like as my just in case (laughs) yeah it's like uh it's so crazy that um oh shit I had something. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well, you should probably go. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that's why, like, the Biden administration basically completely caving to this fucking ruling, getting rid of the mass mandate on public transit is so fucked. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's like, that's like the number. I know everybody's been talking about it on planes, and it's an insane idea for planes, but I see somebody pointing out a tweet. It's like, no, it's all public transit. So, like, yeah, of course, the public. The pundit class, of course, thinks immediately of planes, but the vast majority of people using public transit, what that's going to apply to is subways and buses, Mm -hmm. which like, I don't know what's a better or easier spot for a virus to spread than a subway where people aren't wearing masks. Like, yeah, just getting on and off of a crowded car the whole time. I mean, like I've often thought about that with planes where it's like, you should still wear your mask on a plane, but also you need to recognize the fact that you're in an enclosed capsule and like the mask's efficiency is going to be greatly diminished by just all of the ambient particles people are blasting into that tiny little cabin. And then that goes even more so for like a subway car where people are getting on and off at every stop, you know? Yeah. Hell country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's, well, it's crazy because it sucks. <laughs> the, the, the public support for this stuff comes from like the idea that we're tired of being inconvenienced and that the real tyranny is the, the medical precautions it, it's necessary to take to stop some silly virus. And it's like, I don't know. It, it's crazy to me that these people think that like this shit isn't bothersome to us too. Like that people think like that my mask doesn't bug me every fucking day when I wear it all day at work. It does bug me. I hate it. But like, you know what I hate more? Potentially contracting a potentially lethal disease. That's yeah, the one. Or even like the long-term effects that come from COVID in yeah. many different cases. And, uh, and not to mention just the fact that uh, the science doesn't pan out on this. Like, no matter what you, if you look at all of the different things that are going on, you you have to have all of these protections in place in order to actually do something about it. We are never going to see, like, low, we're going to just see higher and higher peaks, as far as I can tell. Yeah, well, because, I mean, if you actually follow the science, you either have to start doing socialism (laughs) (laughs) or you have to already be socialist. (laughs) Like the other thing that's so frustrating about that narrative is that it like, while yes, like the rot of individualism that is built into us culture 
does certainly produce a decent chunk of people who have that libertarian idea that being told that you have to do literally anything is the worst thing that could ever fucking happen to you. Even (laughs) if it's a very, very minor inconvenience to literally save people's lives like that, that is real. That does exist. There's a lot of people that feel that way, but like so much more of that is, is an invention with the intent to push people that way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's been so steadily reinforced for so long. I mean, it's easy to point to Ayn Rand it's easy to point to the Iowa Writers Workshop. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's been so many other projects to emphasize individual liberty <laughs> at the expense of everything else. And it's it's crazy how if you have a lot of individual liberty and no fucking money, uh, your life is still shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the quote? You can't imagine the freedom that a a houseless person like <laughs> enjoys or something like that. Oh yeah. Well, that's why we have all these classic stories that we read in high school where they're like, maybe the real freedom is you go off into the woods by yourself or you go yeah, out on the road forever by yourself. The fucking answer. Yeah, that's right. You li- you are a self entirely self-made person. There's no one who's ever like community. This, there is no society folks. That's right. We are going <laughs> to, we're reporting it here first. We do not live in a society. We do not live in a society. <laughs> and the only logical ninth grade English teacher response to that is of course, go on a ridiculous adventure that will surely bankrupt you. podcast everybody <laughs> this is work stoppage we're going to be talking about catcher in the rye today and uh, <laughs> oh! into the wa- into the wild is next week uh we are entirely listening to tldr <laughs> fuck holden caulfield yeah for real uh, <laughs> uh we are entirely listener supported, so thank you so much for any money you might be throwing us on Patreon. Uh, we will use it to never run any ads and potentially uh, go go into the woods for the rest of our. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, One but thing that it, we are doing though is we're doing stickers. That's I right. Mean, we have been doing stickers for people who. Uh, managed to find the post that's somewhere very deep into the Patreon. But it, uh, <laughs> if you are not digging all the way deep into the Patreon, um, I'm just going to let you know that you can just message us your address if you haven't gotten stickers yet, and I will send you a set of awesome work stoppage stickers. That's right. So get the stickers if you're a patron, because we want to send them to you. And uh, get in the Discord even if you aren't a patron. It's a fun place to hang out and see the memes from the episodes. And if you really want to help the show, uh, leave us a five-star review wherever you think it will leave the most impact. You know, scroll it on the side of Elon's fucking rockets or whatever. Uh, (laughs) Put it on your grocery list. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to follow up with uh, the Hudson workers who are... Hudson Workers United who are still waiting for the NLRB to do anything to help them whatsoever. You might remember our interview with the Hudson Workers United folks back on episode 69 uh, because uh, they had their voices radically altered. And even though it might have been difficult to listen to, it's important to protect those people's privacy. Yeah. Like 
so this is basically be part. We're checking back in because you know that was episode sixty nine was a while ago. This is episode mm-hmm. one hundred one. So on four twenty. That's right. Uh, happy <laughs> weed holiday, everybody. Um, yeah, but- labor numerologists losing their minds right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so like because we know we haven't talked about the the movement by Hudson Workers United since we did the interview. Uh, we figured it would be a good time to check in. Also, they recently had an unfortunate commemoration, which is that on April 14th, they had hit a the one-year mark since a majority of the workers at Hudson submitted a petition to management demanding better pay and working conditions, basically mm-hmm. launching the first, like, worker action of this drive. And and this is all from, like, a recent Twitter thread that they did where they, they laid out, you know, all the steps that have happened over the last year because, like – a, a month after they they presented their demands, they won an increase in employer contributions for health care, an extra paid holiday, more freedom to work from home. So things were going pretty good. But then just a couple months later, after reaching 70% support, they went public they and they filed for a union. And that was the end of the, uh, you know, the hunky-dory negotiating with, mm-hmm. the, with the company because as soon as they actually filed for union representation – like per their thread in August, the company began forbidding employees to talk about the union and began retaliating against supporters as well as beginning legal challenges to try and stall the election. Yeah. Leading to October where management fired three of the organizers that were, uh, that ended up leading to a picket outside the offices. Then the company banned all non-work conversations on the job site. I mean, just because they were trying to cover their bases of the, you know, the thing that most places do where they don't ban all non-work conversations, but then they ban union conversations, and that's technically discrimination against the union, and that's illegal. And so somehow, magically, they've managed to get rid of all non-work conversations. That sounds pretty unlikely that they're actually able to accomplish that but then uh in november they fired another union organizer seeming uh to target those who testified at the nlrb hearings on the bargaining unit size um then they scheduled their election uh for january 18th again it is currently 420 <laughs> yeah and then and then when their union election day actually did come around the union or the company rather apparently impounded ballots claiming that the NLRB had not responded to their request for a a review, which is like, is that, that's not within their power to do, is it? (laughs) I I mean, uh, uh, considering they're a law firm, I imagine this is one of those things where they're hitting all of the technical weaknesses in the law, where they're like, look, we have filed this legal motion challenging the election. And since it hasn't been reviewed or or even responded to, we can't have the election. And I'm sure there is some sort of a legal precedence for that, but it's still ridiculous. Right. But yeah, so like the, it took another two months till the end of March for the NLRB to actually respond and deny the company's request for review. But still as of last week, the like Hudson Workers United's votes in their election, which again was scheduled for January, have still not been counted. Uh, they they've they've got thirty ULPs uh, charges pending against the company. Numerous workers, as we've discussed, have been fired, and like they've through a bunch of legal maneuvering, the actual like company that these workers officially worked for has been reorganized to no longer exist, which is. 
another wild part of this story. And I feel like one of those unique aspects to this being a attempting to form a union at a law firm. Yeah, I mean, because originally they were they're the Hudson workers because they were that's like the parent company of yeah. all of the different uh, people who are actually working together. Because I mean, obviously these legal organizations are just going to create a bunch of uh, you know puppet companies so that they can avoid any sorts of actual responsibility, and that's exactly what they've done here by basically dissolving a company. Though somehow, I mean, like though they fired a bunch of uh, pro union people, the, a lot of the workers are still there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so it, it's well, yeah, like I don't want to like make this off as it's you know hopeless because I think an important takeaway from this is that like. U.S. labor law, as we've said so many times, and this is just yet another example, is so heavily weighted in favor of the company. It is insane. Like, yeah. Well, a, a good example is like I just um, I just took a minute to hop over to the Hudson Workers United Twitter, and like 18 minutes ago, they posted uh, in other news, Hudson admitted to wage theft after the Department of Labor investigated them. They paid back employees in Pennsylvania only. Where's the back pay for the rest of us across the country? So not only have their ballots still not been counted, but like even as it's being revealed that Hudson is has been engaging in even more wildly illegal things than was at first presented, the ramifications are like they have to they have to pay back pay to their employees in Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, they admitted paying every employee basically the wrong amount. It's it's very insane. Yeah. yeah. Wage theft, biggest industry in America. I mean, yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> yeah, the the whole I it's it's like the most cliched meme ever, like, but it's because it's true and it's a stark example of the fundamental contradiction of capitalism that if like look at the legal ramification difference between if you steal $100 out of the till at work versus the fucking company stealing $100 out of every employee's paycheck. Like, mm-hmm. worst thing that happens to them is they pay it back. <laughs> worst thing that happens to you is you go to jail for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, clearly not uh, a system that is actually uh, free or fair. Yeah, but, um, but thankfully, I mean, as you said, like, the workers, a lot of the workers are still there. And the, even, like, you know, the workers that have faced recrimination are still standing in solidarity with their coworkers. And so, like, it's been over a year, but these folks are still standing strong. They're still out there fighting. And, and I think that's, you know, some inspiration that we can take from that story. Absolutely. It's, that's a, it's a tough fight, especially, I mean, being related to immigration and law-related. I'm guessing there are some systemic biases against actually, uh, you know, dealing with these issues though Mm -hmm. that's a bit of speculation uh moving to things that are not uh speculation (laughs) uh repression at amazon (laughs) oh yeah that's uh that's more like a material constant than any kind of speculation so we saw this huge victory at jfk 8 and now everybody is uh turning their attention towards ldj5 admittedly not as catchy of a facility name (laughs) yeah uh where organizers and the company have repped uh both ramped up their efforts ahead of the upcoming election on april 25th and amazon is really pulling out all the stops here i think they are they are pursuing the same wounded animal type strategy that howard schultz uh is pursuing (laughs) in the wake of all these election victories at starbucks yeah like there was an interview or there 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 was a press conference rather with some of the folks organizing at lgj5 and madeline wesley who's a worker at the facility and is the treasurer of the alu told reporters 
all those union busters that were there to union bust 8,000 workers at JFK 8 have walked across the street and are in our little building of 1,600 people. They're really fighting us, and they're playing really dirty. And specifically, like, she was highlighting the bigoted nature of a lot of their attacks, pointing, saying they're spreading racist lies about Chris, meaning ALU President Chris Smalls, per usual. They're spreading sexist lies about me, trying to undermine my authority as a young woman involved with the union. It's a war in there. Yeah. Well, and it's it's like really incredible that they're like, okay, all of these union busters we have on retainer that we used to try to bust a union of like, what was it, 8,000 people Mm -hmm. are now being sent to bust a union one quarter that size. So you can can imagine Mm -hmm. four times as many anti-union psychos walking around the building. And then the other thing that's highlighted by this, I think, is that like, you know, this is why you don't do tailism because the company is going to be more than happy to latch on to racism and mm-hmm. sexism and every other kind of bigotry. And not only are those things morally reprehensible and you should just not do them as a general rule, but also the only way to fight those things is not to also do them. <laughs> you have right. to provide right. a coherent and, and comprehensive anti-racist, anti-sexist, generally anti-bigoted, you know, alternative to the workers there. Yeah, well, and one of the things that Amazon did in the wake of the loss at uh, JFK 8, uh, or I should say the workers' victory at JFK 8, yep. uh, was they fired this um, like union-busting firm that was basically ran by Democrats or like a, demo- like a Democratic uh, like anti-union law firm, and then have instead moved to a more conservative one. Um, they have included uh, far-right professional union buster Rebecca Smith, who briefly worked for the Teamsters before writing an anti-union propaganda book, Union Hypocrisy and Becoming a Union Buster. The union busters have been documented repeatedly taking down union literature uh, and banners from the LDJ5 break room and punishing organizers for even talking about the union. Yeah, and and so like... The ALU's lawyer, Seth Goldstein, has claimed that the attacks that they're facing are in complete and pretty blatant. I think he's you know right about this. They're in blatant violation of the NLRB agreement, which is a nationwide agreement that Amazon signed with the board in response to just numerous like unfair labor practice charges that were filed mm-hmm. against Amazon in Bessemer, in Staten Island, at other facilities. And that is supposed to guarantee the rights of workers to organize in non-work areas, which, again, is supposed to be guaranteed by the NLRA anyway. But the settlement was supposed to underline that. And and so Goldstein said, these are blatant attacks on an agreement they were a party to. The core of the matter is Amazon agreed to something, but they're violating it because it suits their purposes for winning the election. And so in response to this, of course, you know, the ALU has already filed ULPs against the company for doing this. And I mean, I've also been following like the accounts that they have Mm -hmm. for the specific LDJ five, like union. And they're following a lot of the same media strategy that I, that we highlighted on our episode about the ALU's organizing tactics where like when they see union busters doing this shit, they videotape it. And they, they, so they've got a bunch of videos of the union busters going around, pulling down the like, various like union flyers in non-work areas that they're allowed to be at and like interfering with stuff and just posting about it. And so that they can highlight, like identify to their coworkers who these folks are, what they're doing and that they're breaking the law, which I think is a, it's really good to have that stuff 
right out there for everyone to see it. Yeah. And they're also being extremely, uh, the union members rather, are being extremely disruptive in the captive audience meetings, which is a tried and true method that worked at JFK 8. And, uh, you know, I know that they're fighting four times as many fucking union busters relative to the size of the union here at uh, LDJ 5. But um, being disruptive in captive audience meetings and then posting the sick fucking audio of you being disruptive <laughs> in a captive audience meeting is is a really great way to get other workers and like just people who happen to be online generally on your side. Yeah, there is one worker specifically, um, Kathleen Cole, who spoke out in, in uh, an interview where she talked about her experience in one of these captive audience meetings where a consultant basically implied but didn't directly say that workers could be fired for signing a union card. And so she just responded out in the meeting and explained that, you know, though that wasn't true, that it was illegal to fire somebody for signing a union card. And she said, I'm not a fighting type, but that's just wrong. To be honest with you, if they were fair and neutral in these meetings, I probably never would have even gotten involved. Yeah, and we yeah. saw that a lot when we were going over it in that uh, shop floor discussion where basically the amount of repression that's going on is really like in showing workers the true contradictions <laughs> between their them being laborers yeah. and and the and the company. Um so well, that's that that's what's really uh, encouraging about this happening at such huge corporations like Amazon and Starbucks is it feels like the dam is really broken. You know, like you can't can't put the toothpaste back in the tube now. The more you repress the union, the more all of the other employees across the country are going to get wind of it through social media, through regular media, through everything else and be like, well, fuck it. Let's let's fight back. Let's unionize our store, too. Let's unionize our facility as well. Yeah. And a lot of these workers are, are looking for more hours to try to get their 20 minute break back, which are currently 15 minutes. Um, the hours issue is particularly important to LDJ5, uh, where many of the part-time workers want to work full-time, but the company has found it cheaper to employ more workers for fewer hours to avoid paying benefits. And this, also, if you remember back, uh, uh, which one? It, I think it was the decline of American unionism, where part of the incentive for um, making people work overtime was to not pay ben- to not hire people so that they have to pay more benefits. Well, in the exact same light, they have people working under the amount to get benefits in order to avoid paying benefits and so Mm -hmm. uh these workers themselves are fighting to actually have some sort of dignity in their work and get the benefits that they deserve that all workers should get part-time or full-time but at the very least under the current conditions they're fighting for more hours so that they can become full-time and get benefits yeah i mean they're they're helping everybody by doing this because these are companies that set their industry standards in many ways, unfortunately. But if you start setting those standards as like, hey, we are no longer finding it acceptable that the only two job positions you have up are 70 hours a week or 26 hours a week. Those are unacceptable. Right. Exactly. Like just setting it up to game the system. Mm -hmm. But well, and, and like in the same vein as like the repression sort of backfiring, even outside the LDJ five facility, like the the victory of the ALU at JFK eight has really inspired workers across the country. Like according to the union, just in the last couple of weeks since their victory, workers at over a hundred different Amazon facilities have contacted them about forming a union. Like per their director of organizing, Brett Daniels, who said. Not only are these messages coming in from all over the country, but from all over the world. We've had workers reach out from Japan. We're talking to workers in India, South Africa, Italy, Germany, Spain, and France. Hell yeah. And like, 
so like while the union itself, you know, because, you know, as we've talked about, since it's a, a grassroots worker led organization that's been independent of any of the major unions, they're still like their core organizing staff is still pretty small. And so they're focused on that victory at like LDJ five in which, you know, it st- starts next week and then they'll they'll count on May 2nd. But in the meantime, there are already encouraging workers to form their own organizing committees of supportive workers at their site and start talking together about how they'll begin their organizing efforts. And uh, we had a line, there was a line here that I think just really sums it up from an Amazon worker in Albuquerque who said, they're the first through the wall to see a true worker-led movement land a punch on the monolithic Amazon. Well, it's hopeful regardless. Knowing there's a chance is enough to rally. Fuck yeah. That's exactly right. And that's one of the things that we are really excited about. And one of the reasons why we told the story as many times as we have because of how unprecedented this is or how how historic the actual union victory was. Because it's really going to galvanize a lot of workers into thinking, because so often people are like, oh, well, maybe it won't happen in my lifetime or it's too hard and it's not possible under the conditions, right to work or any other excuse. Well, this sort of thing just pushes right back at that and says no it's absolutely possible and in that note uh of things being possible we're gonna move to starbucks where we are gonna actually start not necessarily on the on the positives we're gonna move to the positives after but uh we're gonna start in ann arbor where one of the uh another organizer has been fired and we're gonna go ahead and post a gofundme in the in the show notes and also in the discord uh, for people who want to support these workers, but Starbucks under Howard Schultz uh, has not like relented at all in the repression. No, I mean they yeah. brought him back specifically to fight the union movement, basically, right? And then like immediately they start firing union organizers, including this union organizer from Ann Arbor, Hannah Whitbeck, who was fired on Monday and had no prior write-ups of any kind, but was fired for an incident over a month ago when she left after her shift was over and a coworker was left alone on the floor for approximately 10 minutes. This is the fourth union organizer to be illegally fired since Howard Schultz returned and at least the 22nd since December. So, I mean, the repression is really in full swing at starbucks and like it's too it's it's too late at this point for them to even pump the brakes so it's going to be really interesting to to see what the the fruits of their totally unsuccessful union busting activities are we do encourage starbucks to fucking pump the brakes like (laughs) yeah Yeah. god damn fuck off yeah well i mean honestly like it's one of those things where I feel like they, they think oh well we can keep firing people it doesn't matter if a few stores we lose these elections but i'm just Mm -hmm. like Man, how do you think you make your the bargaining committees at these Victoria stores more militant by continuing to do this bullshit? Like, yeah, uh, if it's only going to harden people's resolve to get as much as they possibly can at the negotiating table. But I mean, Howard is in in addition to continuing the the standard oppression of just firing people for being union organizers. They're also busting out another classic tactic, which we saw something similar to this over at, uh, I believe, Activision a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, where they've now Starbucks has announced plans to raise to increase benefits for all their workers except at union stores. And you know we see this from big companies all the time, pulling out this bullshit claim that no, look, we'd love to raise benefits for the folks at our unionizing stores. We don't have anything against them, but. 
The law ties our hands. They filed for a union election, and that freezes things. That means we can't change anything, folks, which is a lie. Yeah, this is a reference to the status quo where basically when you file for an election, it it's supposed to freeze everything in place so that the, the company can't do uh, like coercive activities by like trying to pay. We'll give you a raise if you vote no for the union, uh, this or that. But it does not uh, prohibit the union from accepting benefits on whole for the union. If right. there was a – especially when there is a uh, – company-wide policy and mm-hmm. th- I, I literally this happened when i was in my union uh campaign where the company's like well we're gonna give everybody in the company this thing but we can't give it to you and it's like no you absolutely can and you have to offer it to us or that itself is considered uh, like union busting and a violation of status quo because uh basically you have to if you're gonna offer a benefit to people like we can deny a bad practice because that would be you know obviously against our interest but during status quo the union does have a little bit more power uh to actually accept and decline those sorts of things well and it also completely glazes so intentionally just skips over the fact that many of these unionized stores are now totally unionized and out of status quo and can now accept offers from the company just as a union. And yeah. if you offer more benefits or a higher wage, they will always say, yes, you can pay us more. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a transparent lie, but one that I, but I can see it confusing people because of the fact that a U.S. labor law is confusing and stupid and be not taught to anyone right. on purpose because they don't want workers to know labor law because then it might make it them better at, you know, organizing. But but that being said, I mean, you know, the Starbucks Workers United movement, one another one of its strengths for being worker led means that lines of communication are open between every one of those stores. And so all the union workers can talk to each other about all these tactics and inoculate their coworkers against them and take other actions too. Like on Friday, we saw workers on both coasts Mm -hmm. on strike in response to this constant repression from the company, like in Raleigh, North Carolina, workers struck their, the protesting the firing of one of their coworkers, Sharon Gilman, they, the workers at the store sent a letter to Howard Schultz and in it, they said, Sharon Gilman is one of the best partners we have at our store. We are extremely disappointed. The company we, we saw her working so hard for is willing to fire her over something she is not responsible for. And without consulting the witnesses available, if our equipment is so flimsy that it can fall off of a wall only two years after installation, we are concerned about the safety of our coworkers and the fact that Starbucks would rather find a scapegoat than accept responsibility. Yeah. And then you also see workers uh, striking in Seattle at two different stores from Friday to continued through Sunday to protest the company's union busting tactics there after they filed for representation. So the pro-union workers in the store have seen their hours slashed and inf- and been receiving all kinds of infractions for uh, never-before-implemented policies, never-before-enforced policies. And this is something that we see time and time again. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, a barista from the East Lake store, Natalie Matera, who says given starbucks public portrayal of their empathy and dedication for their partners it is incredibly disheartening to see such malicious attempts to silence us we are the heart of this company and we deserve to be treated as such that's absolutely true and also i'm kind of fascinated by the fact that they're willing to union bust this hard in seattle now which it seems like a few weeks ago they weren't really willing to do 
Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a shift. Yeah. Um, right. And one of the intensifications that the company has come out with is they put it, they've been handing out union flyers with fake tweets from Starbucks Workers United page saying things like, well, for one, using usernames that are not even Starbucks Workers yeah. United, but then also, you know, just literally doctoring up tweets. But one of them said, in collective bargaining, you start with everything and you have to negotiate for more from there. For one, no union organizer would say that. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's ridiculous because we know that the company is going to do their best to punish the union. That's not, that's just it, illogical that we would, that they would ignore that when they know how much repression is coming down from Starbucks itself. And just the blatant kind of lying is a perfect example of how, like, the United States, uh, like, ruling class works. They are going to lie to people and say that everything is bad and that you shouldn't trust the union, uh, when in reality, these are the people fighting for better conditions. It's just like, and to the idea that the that Starbucks would make them fight, start from nothing, is union repression in its own right. Well, and I this story was so funny to me because I'm just like, consider how much Starbucks pays their union busters, which is one of the things that I think I like about like the ALU's tactics is mm-hmm. where they'll, they'll put up posters with the pictures of the union busters. Like this person's getting paid $2,500 a day to fuck with you. But so it's, that's the sort of salary these people are getting. And when they made up this fucking fake flyer uh, with all these tweets that SB workers United didn't make, they didn't even bother to check when their account was made. So to make sure that when they made the fake tweets, with dates on them that they wouldn't do what they did, which is post tweets before the account ever existed. So like, like it's just incredibly obvious that they're not real and making ones from accounts that have names like at one dot Starbucks.com, which any person who's ever used Twitter could tell you is not a valid username. It is kind of crazy that like these union busters are making that insane money and they're basically just like your boomer uncle who's barely even technologically literate in the first place. Yeah. Like this is, I mean, it's just shoddy work, and I, I, and like, I, I really appreciated the union using that in their pushback to this. Like organizer Casey Moore said in response, "Unfortunately, these leaflets are just yet another one of Starbucks's union busting tactics to lie, mislead, threaten, and intimidate partners. Next time they try to write tweets for us, though, they might want to try being a little more creative and at least try to use some believable dates, or not, or just yeah. try not being libelous bastards." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, well, and uh, in continuing rough news, we do have our second loss in the campaign to unionize Starbucks around the around the United States, where uh, in one store in Virginia they lost eight to ten on April fourteenth, and that's it's really unfortunate. But the amount of repression that's been going on in here, you know, it's like the campaign is going to see some hiccups. Sure. But I mean, one thing that I have been taking from this is that we've been seeing a lot of like unanimous victories and very close losses, which is a very encouraging window of outcomes, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't think we, yeah, no, we haven't seen a single law. Like there's only the two losses and they've both been extremely close. Mm -hmm. And like, I did, I did think it was interesting because there was a a interview in DCist, like a, a local uh, like, you know, Northern Virginia, DC area mm-hmm. magazine where they interviewed one of the baristas and union o- organizers at the store that lost Tim Swikard, who talked about the union busting they faced there, which is the, 
you know, the stuff that we've been talking about, the really intense campaign and all the tactics they've been using across the country and the place being swamped with additional management and all shifts, captive audience meetings, uh, you know, all this stuff. And he pointed to what he thought like was the primary like factor in the loss, which was the captive audience one-on-ones, which where pointing out that there were, you know, management in there saying this, all these sorts of things that were functionally threats saying stuff Mm -hmm. like you could lose your ability to transfer stores. You could also lose some benefits, which isn't technically lying because you're saying could, but it, the, it's the likelihood of that happening is next to zero. Like you could lose your ability to transfer to non-union stores, which all that means is it should encourage you to unionize all the stores. But like, and yes, technically if the company goes after you, you could lose benefits. But again, that's, that's another one of those areas where you want to turn it around and be like, well, if they're basically threatening that you're going to lose benefits for organizing. Well, and, and who would it be restricting the workers from their ability to transfer stores? Right. It would be Starbucks themselves because right. mm-hmm. there is nothing about you know being a union member that would literally prohibit you from moving to another store. You could quit. You could quit your job and and not be in the union. I mean, like, there's the, the the idea that you couldn't, you're just not allowed. The reason why Starbucks wouldn't allow it is because they would be afraid that you would then spread the union message right. to that other store. Right. right. No, exactly. But and I mean, they also pointed to. Uh, I I think it it sounded like the effort at this store like started off on a pretty high point and kind of hope to coast on the momentum a little bit based on, on the interview. But then once they got hit with, you know, the really intense union busting, it was difficult to maintain the same level of support they had, which, which, you know, led to their unfortunate defeat. So, I mean, that sucks. It sucks that this store, you know, lost their election. And it's going to be a while before they get a chance to, to try again, but legally a year. Yeah. So, I mean, that sucks unambiguously. However, thankfully, we only have one loss to talk about in the Starbucks Workers United story for this week. But we have seven victories to talk about. That's right. So seven uh, and one, baby. <laughs> in like what a it's really, week? It's what? Yeah, that's that's just in a week because we do see what we're over. Tw- are they over twenty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're at. I believe they are now at 26 out of 28 elections in favor of the union now after yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, like, despite all this repression, despite all this constant campaign of escalation by Howard Schultz, uh, last Wednesday for the first of these, we had two more stores vote to join the union. First in the Bloomfield neighborhood of Pittsburgh had a unanimous 20 to nothing win. Hell yeah, They're the first of six stores, although I think that number, I think that's out of date now. I think more stores have filed, but at the time, mm-hmm. they were the first of six Pittsburgh area stores to uh, that have filed for election to hold their, to actually hold theirs. I wonder and if our old sto- store filed. No, I not should yet. Check. Okay. I've been following. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so like their their organizing committee there in a statement after the win said, we're so proud to become the first union Starbucks cafe in Pennsylvania. We are happy to carry the torch in Pittsburgh. Our win today is a win for baristas across the Commonwealth and all workers in the struggle to organize. And the workers at the Bloomfield store say they plan to fight for better wages, health care, and a guaranteed tip rate in their first contract. Oh, f- guaranteed tip rate. That's one I don't. I hadn't even thought of. That's a great ask. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah, like that's one of the things that I love about these individual stores is it's, again, it's like seeing the folks identifying 
the key points they want to hit yeah. at their condi- like at their specific stores based on whatever conditions they have. And so that train continued later in the day when a store in Eugene, Oregon became the first in that state to successfully unionize. And yet again, another unanimous vote that time, 17 to nothing. And that made them the first store in Eugene to win at, but all eight stores in Eugene have filed for union election. Hell yeah. 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 And, and so like one of the workers there who was on the organizing committee said that after their victory, there's a bunch more behind us in Eugene and a bunch more important. We're so excited to get to work on a contract. We're so glad that this went through. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out about because we saw like the entire that uh, I don't remember which city it was that had that had all union stores. Buffalo, um, Ithaca. Ithaca, oh, Ithaca, yeah, yeah. Um, and the one of the reasons why a lot of these uh, areas are kind of unionizing at a very similar time is specifically because of the way that call off policy at Starbucks is because we're actually required to have everyone's phone number in order to actually call and like you have to call every single person individually to try to call off so you can get someone to cover for your shift and so everybody already has each other's information not just at the store but at all of the stores around the store so That's true. i mean uh so i mean they literally have already coordinated people so that it's easier to coordinate this union effort yeah it's kind of like starbucks wanted to i've always wondered about this ever since i worked there when they make you call all of the other stores to see if anybody will cover for you they're saying do your manager's job but the problem is if you know how to do your manager's job, you start to get ideas about why your manager's even fucking there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. No, exactly. 100%. And so after those two big wins last Wednesday, uh, then yesterday, so this was Tuesday, uh, April 19th, five more stores all voted to unionize. Lena and I were watching the the government Zoom that they were, the NLRB was doing for these. It was uh, less fancy than the uh, ALU one where they had five people in a room counting all of the many, many ballots. This was one person uh, basically sitting there opening all of the envelopes, putting all of the stuff in the envelopes in a box, and then uh, being like, oh, all right. And then we take all the stuff out of the box, so oh, the box is empty. And it was, really, it was an interesting Tr- process. Truly <laughs> riveting stuff, folks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's not even but, a map to turn fun colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I want to, I want to, I seriously, I kind of at this point, I'm waiting for like Starbucks Workers United Super Tuesday where there's like 25 elections in one day and like More Perfect Union makes an infographic map like that for it. Oh, I'm ready for it. <laughs> but like, I mean, the the great thing about the elections yesterday, um, you know, was not the incredibly riveting, super exciting stream, but the fact that all five of these elections, who which were all in the Richmond, Virginia area, Every single one of them won. Only one of them was even close, where the vote was 13 to 8. Um, yeah, but it's still not that close. It's not even really that close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the rest of them were all like 22 to 3, like is 18 to 1. And then the last one of the day, another unanimous win at 19 to nothing. So uh, Virginia, unfortunately, you know, at the end of last week, they were at 0 and 1. Now they're at five and one. So uh, a, a nice way to, to cap off, you know, a week of, of union elections in in Virginia. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time I see a unanimous one, I'm like, Psh, nothing but net. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
Hell yeah. yeah. Um, so moving to a topic that we have covered many times because of how much the rank and file movement is ramping up in the United States are grad student unions. And in Indiana, there is a grad student strike in order to actually get their recognition because basically, uh, regardless of what happens, the uh, the state school can just deny the union outright. Yeah, this is one of those weird things where, you know, we get so used to talking about unions in the private sector, since that's by far the majority of the United States economy, that, you know, we get into the vein of, well, this is how the NLRA works, and so this is how union elections work. But when we go back to public institutions, it's different. Like, public employees are not covered in the same way by the NLRA as private employees. They are instead usually, usually governed by state law. And that, of course, varies wildly because of the wondrous joys of federalism in the United States. Um, And so these workers, these are specifically, this is a a unit of 2,500 grad student workers at Indiana State University who are trying to affiliate with the UE. Uh, But because of the fact that Indiana is not, is is a right to work state and is generally pretty hostile as pretty much all U S states are uh, to two unions in general, the, the public institutions in the state have much more leeway to just generally ignore petitions for union elections. And like, these workers who are, you know, as a group represented by the uh, Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, they started their organizing campaign back in 2019, specifically focusing on ending mandatory and international student fees. And, like, the reason that they were going after those is that they pointed out that, like, they're paid by the school and then the school imposes fees that is basically just raking back their pay and that the fees kept going up every year, but their wages weren't going up every year. And so they managed to gain, again, this is out of a, like they only have about 2,500 grad students, but they gathered 2,000 signatures uh, to confront the school. And even with just that, just that singular demand back in 2019, the university slow rolled it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we see you, we hear you, we're, we really want to work to solve this, and they don't fucking do anything. And so they've been fighting since 2019 for this stuff. And so just, uh, I believe last week it was, they held a, a vote to say, look, we've had a majority of workers, we've been demanding recognition of our union, the, the, we've had all these other demands that we, the, the university has refused to meet. Clearly... They're not going to actually listen in good faith. They're not going to do real negotiations. So the only way to make them listen is to make them listen by withholding our labor. And so there was a vote for a strike in order to try and force the university to recognize their union. And of the, the about the, they got about 42% participation in the vote. And of those who participated, 98% voted in favor of the strike. And so, you know, since last week, these grad student workers have not been attending their classes. Hell yeah. I mean, that's how you get your voice heard. Uh, and, and, and like literally the vote was a thousand and eight to 28, uh, yeah. which is, which is, uh, truly deranged. So since Indiana, uh, state is a public institution, workers there are subject to state labor law rather than the NLRA, uh, as Dan was saying. And so 
even though they have a super majority of grad workers, 1,750, who have signed union cards, the ISU administration has refused to recognize their union. And you have one of their union members who is also a PhD student at ISU. So these are some pretty smart people, Cole Nelson, uh, who told Alex Press at Jacobin, as we've seen time and time again, the university, as with most bosses when faced with this sort of organized call for union representation, is adamant on denying us that right. That's where the strike becomes increasingly crucial for us, not out of any desire to strike, but out of necessity to compel the university to recognize us. While it would be nice to have a legal framework to which we can appeal, that simply doesn't exist for us in the state of Indiana. Given that, we rely on the organized collective support of our demands. That is ultimately how we're going to secure a union for graduate workers. That's fucking awesome, because that's like what unions are supposed to do. It's like, if you have a legal avenue, by all means, pursue it. But if you you don't have legal avenues for the things you need just demand them anyway by withholding your labor i mean like most of the original unions in the united states were illegal mm-hmm. when they started right like yeah, yeah like absolutely the, this is how we got the nlra was right. workers saying okay I, I don't care if unions aren't legal we have a union and you're gonna bargain with it or we're not gonna fucking work mm-hmm Yeah. Well, and one of the things that the university has done to undercut this union uh, campaign is by exaggerating how much the grad students are paid to a number that is $50,000 per year. But (laughs) that's only accurate if you include literally every single benefit. And even then still exaggerates the average pay. I mean, the actual uh, income for these people is around $18,000 per year, which... I mean, this is, and along with like the fees and everything, it's just, right. uh, there, it's all, that's even a smaller number because that's it's like to be, to be taxed by the company you work for means that you're literally making less. Yeah. That's, that's not even half of a living wage, not even in the cheapest mm-hmm. part of Indiana. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and the, the workers have pointed out that like, it's not because the university doesn't have any money. Like, The grad student wages have been completely frozen for a decade. They haven't risen. Faculty wages at ISU have only increased by 6%. However, in that same period, administrator salaries have more than doubled. So there's there's money there. It's just going to the university's equivalent of the boss instead of the workers. What a surprise. And honestly, all the more reason why these grad student workers need a goddamn union. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, and like, they have one. They they are uh, they're just exercising right. that union now, hoping that the fucking school system actually recognizes it because it exists whether they recognize it or not. And honestly, I'm expecting that if they continue to not recognize it, that this uh, militancy that is kind of formed through rank and file organization, especially known well known well by the UE. Um, the United Electrical Workers, which is a rank-and-file union, is that uh, these students are not going to back down. And uh, yeah. so... Well, and and we're approaching, you know, the end of the spring semester, like in a couple, of, a few weeks coming up here, The that'll be closing in on, like, finals, presumably, although I don't know how COVID's affected university schedules. Mm-hmm. But, like, the so the union has put forward a five-point platform for what they're fighting for trying to tie like they, you know, pulled all the different workers in their, their bargaining unit to try and see what, what workers needed doing a little bit of that mass line work there. And like, so, you know, they've got 
some pretty obvious demands, a minimum living wage for all graduate student workers, annual raises that are fixed to inflation, you know, mm-hmm. so that you don't just get paid less and less every year. Equity for international students, because we've talked about so many times the ways that international students get screwed over by labor laws here in the U.S. Um, An adequate grievance procedure, which is, I mean, really important. When we talked about Columbia, that was something that was a big point that they were fighting for Mm -hmm. that they didn't have and that they were able to win. And then improved and secured benefits for for all graduate student workers. Because, like, you know, we talked about the, I think it was New Mexico State workers. That was one of their big things was that the university just didn't cover their health care, which is, like, if you're already making almost nothing, how are you supposed to pay for health care? You can't. that's yeah yeah i i know yeah <laughs> yeah no, it's I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to answer your your rhetorical <laughs> question i'm sorry <laughs> but but so one thing we have seen i mean to what you were you were talking about there with like the, the militancy john like is we've seen support from really the two key sectors you need to see it from for a grad student strike to work we have seen the students who the 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 undergraduates who attend the classes taught by the grad student workers walk out in solidarity with the grad student workers and stu- come out on strike with them and we've also seen faculty for whom like a lot of the graduate students work come out and say like after the university's like well these students are going on strike so you're going to need to cover their classes and 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 like not issue them excuses and like the faculty a lot of the faculty have been like no, <laughs> like uh, we, we agree with their strike. Like you're not paying them anything. You should pay them stuff. So no, we're not going to participate in breaking the strike. Right. That's well, good. and it's like, you know, fucking pay them for the work that they do. These graduate students do most of the teaching at any mm-hmm. given university. I don't know what the the proportion is at Indiana state, but at any given university, I think graduate students are doing upwards of 70 to 80% of the teaching in, yeah, at like any the, school. Like my first two years in college was basically all grad students teaching my mm-hmm. classes. Um, yeah, it's, they do an enormous amount. They are, they are, they are indispensable for the functioning of the university, which is why, you know, this sort of strike is, you know, the way they have to go. Like this is that they are proving by this strike that they are indispensable. And so if they can stay out there, if they can stay strong in solidarity, I think like, as you said, that militancy is just going to build. And as we approach the end of the spring semester, that's just going to put more and more pressure Mm -hmm. on the university to recognize them. So uh, we do have a uh, strike fund for the workers that we will put in the notes. And we obviously encourage everybody to support them and, and all the other folks that are, are unionizing. But like, uh, you know, just solidarity with these folks, like fight out there fighting in, you know, the the kind of no man's land of, of these state the public sector, public sector organizing yeah. where there's no union protections in the law at all. Yeah. Well, to move to a story that is in an industry that we have. I don't even know if we've covered it besides uh, cursory references to just media in general. The yeah. theater uh sector is actually seeing a change up in the way that the uh actors equality association the kind of union that uh was representing theater workers across the united states and we're going to get into what i mean by kind of uh in a little (laughs) bit is shifting their their policies in order to actually include workers because originally the actors equality association uh Uh, only allowed Oh, the oh, the Actors Equity Association 
only allowed people who had worked a certain number of hours to join the what basically was a trade guild, which is yeah. a very old style of union where only the people who've made it past apprenticeships are allowed to have any sorts of representation or rights. And then the pay in those situations are incredibly different. It's a it's a very it's an enforced two tier system specifically mm-hmm. by this trade guild which is trying to change into an actual union it's cool that they're trying to change into a union from basically a feudal institution (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that was i mean most of this is coming out of a a really good article that was in left voice very interesting they did a really good uh, write-up on this and yeah it was this is i didn't know anything about this organization before i was reading about this and it was it was wild to see because you know we've had we have plenty of critiques for all sorts of different unions, for all sorts of different reasons, a lot of them tied to business unionism. Uh, but this one is a little different because, yeah, as you were laying out there, Alina, like this union basically hasn't been functioning really as a union, at least certainly not in the sense of recognizing the interests of all of the workers as a class. Like, uh, as you were saying, like they've required workers like to essentially like – you know, we have the colloquial term pay your dues out of like, but not literally paying their dues by like forcing them to work for a certain number of jobs over a certain period of time to, they literally had a point system where you would have to work non-union shitty jobs with no union protections, making literally a third of what the quote unquote union, uh, like at equity, which is what they call it for short, just equity. Um, they're literally making a third of what the equity workers were making, like just to be able to be eligible to apply to be in the equity association. Yeah, I remember when I was looking for jobs at one point in Pittsburgh and one of the areas that I could almost get into or well, I could get into was theater work. And uh, when I was originally going to be hired, it was going to be at like $10 an hour. And I'm like, I literally cannot survive on that. And so I did not even end up getting into that. So I never would have even had the ability to get into this, uh, what is becoming a union. All right. Well, and meanwhile, other trade guild style apprenticeships all involve you becoming a union member. Like right away, like if you're a mechanic apprentice or an electrician apprentice or a carpenter Mm -hmm. apprentice, you join the union right away and have union protections right away. Yeah, and and that's been one of the, the that was one of the strange things to learn about the Actors, Actors Equity Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, very much functioning as an association and not a union. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, like to your to what you were talking about, like you know, with Lena, with the enforced um, two tier system, they were basically kind of like working in tandem with the regional theaters around the country to enforce that system, which because it benefited. Like it it allowed them to have their union protections for their members, but it benefited the theater managers greatly because they could say, well, no, you got to, that's the rules of that union. You got to, you know, work in all these non-union things, which I can pay you literally as low as possible because you have to work them to qualify to get into the union in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so like functionally, they're basically helping the regional theaters drive down wages, but as we were alluding to, this has changed in recent months and over, and really this has largely been prompted by the pandemic. Cause obviously one of the, like the theater industry was one of the industries hit extremely hard by the like pandemic, because if, you know, people can't congregate, they can't attend theater shows. 
And so all these sorts of places had to like temporarily close down. Yeah. And, and nobody's going to watch a fucking theater performance on zoom, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. And so that meant the dues money stopped rolling into equity, mm-hmm. which basically meant that they kind of ran out of money. <laughs> and the other thing was that, and this is, I think, so imp- an important part of the story because it points to the like abject failure of class collaborationist ideology. Is that like even if you thought about it as this is like, look, this way we have a, a a non-adversarial relationship between the union and theaters by like agreeing to let them have all these non-union gigs. But even with that arrangement, theater regional theaters were still like. Yeah, but I still don't like paying those few people union rates. And so they started having completely non-union tours, basically breaking their agreements with equity. And and so like there's like, yeah, we can just if we just have a completely non-union tour, we can pay them even less. So we'll make even more money. It'll be great. And 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 so equity tried to push back and do like a PR campaign being like telling people, make sure you demand an equity performance. But it's hard to ask for solidarity when you're not providing it to all the actors. Well, and so I'm, like sure that that, I, I'm sure that hasn't really worked. I'm sure that all the, the, the completely non-union performances fucking sucked as well because when you have a bunch of, when every single person in your show like isn't financially secure, problems will arise, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe it didn't suck, but it definitely wasn't as good as people who were actually compensated and, and live a life that is like where their needs are met at the very least. Well, and they they have the time in and and economic space in their lives to really hone their craft, which is like they're a performer, that's their job, you know? So there's this feedback loop of like you get what you pay for, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, and so like in addition to the the financial problems brought on by the pandemic as well as the basically attack on the foundation of the union's mm-hmm. finances by these non-union tours, Additionally, hundreds of equity members marched on their own union headquarters last April to demand that the that equity change its ways. And so in all these things combined to last July, the union finally changed their rules to abolish the point system and start finally start acting like an actual union and admitting all theater actors and stage managers. And so uh, this might seem like a a lot of background because like this all happened mostly last year. But the reason that this is coming up now is that on April 12th, the New York times put out a story talking about how equity is trying to unionize the non-union national tour of this musical waitress. And <laughs> the reason that that was a story in the times is that it's the first targeted unionization drive of a non-union tour by equity in 20 years which speaks to the fact that they haven't really been functioning as a union in all that time. And so, like, you have had all of these circumstances coming to a head where now the union needs more members for money and the union's members are not happy with the way that it's been so, been working as a guild for all these years. And you've gotten more aggressive attacks from, like, theater managers where now the union has been forced to be like, okay, you know what? This trade guild thing, not working. <laughs> Maybe if we actually try to be a real union and actually unionize all the actors and stage managers and take us out of co- competition with each other, basically, from their point of view, we'll actually be able to get protections for everybody. I, or at least I hope that's the thinking. That should be the thinking. And so that makes this move, like even though this tour is not big, it's only got 22 uh, workers in the bargaining unit. But if they successfully 
unionize the tour and they have collected enough cards to file with the NLRB, then that could be the start of a of a like a whole new era in the theater industry where their union actually acts as a union, which would be a huge win for all of the workers in theater. Damn, yeah, I might absolutely. actually go to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like, I think that one of the things to point out there is on these even small uh, things, these are these are people on tour, which means if they cancel a mm-hmm. date, infrastructure is already paid for. Everything is set up. That is going to be an empty venue. That is an entirely, that is a huge amount of money that is just going to, it's not, uh, I mean, sure, a loss of a day's productivity from a company is pretty significant, but this these shows are the reason why these companies make money. And uh, it's not just like a day of work. It's like a week or two of work just to put on one of these shows. Well, and it carries all of the costs of like rehearsal and set design and all of that other time and 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 materials spent with it. And then you know, yeah, like you said, the most expensive thing they do is like rent out the venue. <laughs> and if the venue's already fucking paid for, and you decide not to go into work, that really fucking hits them where it hurts. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So so hopefully this is you know like the start of a new era, and we actually see some real. continuous labor struggles within the theater industry. Yeah. Well, and then to round out our story part of the episode, the we have another victory, this time at a Verizon retail location where workers have won their union, uh, the first one outside of New York. Uh, on Friday, April 15th, workers at two Verizon retail stores in Washington State uh, voted nearly unanimously, 11 to 1, to unite. Uh, to to unionize with the CWA, the workers have pointed out continually worsening conditions, and and really, I mean, I'm not surprised, especially because in retail we've seen absolutely mm-hmm. atrocious exacerbation of unsafe working conditions, especially under COVID. Yeah, yeah. So you have Austin Hitch, who's a worker organizer at one of the stores. And he says, we really want to codify what we already have. We have pretty good benefits in 401ks, but Verizon has been systematically taking things away from us, and we want to put a stop to that. Yeah. And so, you know, these workers, it, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you see the, the vote count. It's like 11 to 1. It's, it's a couple cell phone stores. And it, you know, but even with that, Verizon still devoted a bunch of resources to trying a union busting campaign there. Like a, a former manager at the store, Deandra Frommer was fired after bringing employee concerns to upper management after workers complained about changes in commissioning, uh, commission pay, last minute scheduling and the company cutting workers break time. And like, even though it may seem like just a few people, like this was considered a really big deal to the company. And the fact that like this has spread, like outside because new york is i believe the most uh, heavily unionized state in the country and so the fact that this is now spread to and i know that the the pacific northwest is up there too but that's a good sign because as you were saying like retail workers have been hit really hard so if we see not only you know the logistics sector seeing surges from like amazon we see the service sector seeing surges in like starbucks if we also start to see surges at retail stores like here or the 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 Apple stores that have just recently announced their filing, like that could be, you know, the start of another big wave in a huge sector of the U.S. economy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people often bemoan the fact that like, 
oh, America doesn't have enough like production and extraction jobs to to right. keep the union wave going or whatever. And it's like I, I think Starbucks and Amazon have conclusively proved that you don't have to swing a big hammer or a little pickaxe to like be able to to represent yourselves as workers in a meaningful way. Yeah, well, yeah. And these workers themselves have uh, stated that in their first contract, they want to fight for cost of living raises, as well as control over their schedules, which, I mean, shop floor control is very important, and schedules are a really good starting point for that sort of power building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we have a quote here from Steve Yu, who's a 22-year veteran with Verizon and a supporter of the union who explained like the issues that they've been running into where they he said they instituted a type of commission where our commission dollars would be taken away from us. We want to say enough is enough. We don't want any more taken away from us and we don't want any more taken away from future employees. And like that I always love when these folks point out like they're not just fighting for themselves, they're fighting for all their coworkers and for anybody else that might work for the company in the future. I it, it's always good to see that perspective, the long view there. And they, in like the articles about this, they, the workers at the Victoria stores said that they've been directly inspired by the wins at Amazon and Starbucks lately, and that they intend to try and spread their victory to other stores. Yeah. And so That's like, I know there was so a, good. I mean, there's, yeah, there was another story in here that I, I saw that was like yeah, related I, to this. I put that in there because, you know, they, they unionized on Friday and then the company itself came out on Monday and made a great announcement uh, <laughs> for no reason. Apropos of nothing, it just happened to be the following Monday, they decided that they were going to be raising the base wage of customer service, retail, and inside sales positions to $20 an hour. And no reason. Again, no reason. <laughs> just very the kindness of the company, not pressure from from a, yeah. from a rising labor movement. But uh, one of the things that I did want to point out to this about this, because I went into the actual statement from Verizon, and it, this is a guaranteed base $20 for these workers. That's true. But for commissioned workers, it includes the commission. So if your commission is, say, $5 an hour, you could be making a base of of $15 an hour to bring you up to that $20 minimum, and they would call that good. So it's not exactly a perfect system, but this does show the power of organizing and bringing mm -hmm. up the wages of everyone around you. We see this very often when there's a strong push by the workers is the, the company gets scared. They're like, we're going to see this in more places if we don't do something. And so the thing that they did was they rose the base wage. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess my advice to the to the workers, if they're interested in some podcast dipshits advice, is <laughs> <laughs> you know it, take a look at what they're trying to head off with this and ask for that exact fucking thing. You know, go in <laughs> yeah. there and say like, make the actual base wage twenty dollars an hour, or you know maybe pick a higher number than that. Even would probably be a good idea. Well, twenty yeah. is the starting wage. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I don't want to jump to the the Apple workers, but they demanded $30. That was pretty yeah. fucking Good. rad. Fuck Good. yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was really cool. Nice round number. I mean, that's one of the things, like, people, like, when the ALU were like, we're fighting for $30 an hour, and people were like, oh, that's so much money. I'm like, I don't know. To do the work they're doing and to live in the New York City area, I think that sounds appropriate. Oh, and, yeah. and in 2022 dollars, 30 bucks an hour is, like, 
10 an hour in 1990 dollars yeah. like <laughs> yeah in 2019 dollars yeah oh like. jesus yeah right which brings us directly to the meme review <laughs> that's, that's right, right. <laughs> we've actually got a follow-up at the beginning of our meme review which is i believe one that we had covered previously uh but this one is a little altered we've got uh what is the the guy with the cringe face hide the pain herald (laughs) (laughs) herald here uh is given the thumbs up with his very sad kind of cringe eyes or whatever you know like uh uh the text on this is when you get a three percent raise but inflation is and then there's a bunch of crossed out numbers it's four point uh five point four percent six point two percent six point eight percent seven point five percent seven point nine percent all crossed out and then somewhere in the middle they've just put eight point five percent it's just like yeah. yeah I mean yeah. that's crazy when when inflation is that high you you you're getting like a a 5.5% pay cut. I know just subtracting one from the other isn't how percentage differentials work. Don't at me. I'm just <laughs> doing the back of the envelope calculation here. <laughs> yeah, but it's no, it's wild cuz yeah, you'll see people being like, "Oh, we're putting in a cost of living uh raise in the in your new contract of 3%." It's like mm. I don't know that that's a cost of living uh, raise this year. (laughs) Yeah, That's so crazy because I was just doing my cost of living analysis and it went up 10%. (laughs) Yeah, right? That's literally the the next meme where we have uh, uh, internet... uh, Wait, what is the... it's the internet hippo, but the yeah. yeah, 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 internet hippo regretfully informing my employer that I'm increasing my salary by 10% due to inflation. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, because I mean, when I saw that one, I just immediately posted it because it was just like unironically, every union should do this because, like, that's the mindset that we need to get in, like, for mm-hmm. workers is is because we always hear the, the 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 companies be like, unfortunately, we've had to raise our prices due to inflation. The workers have just got to be like, unfortunately, I'm raising my salary by 10%. Yeah, that fucking owns. I mean, make every conservative's, like, fear nightmare come true. Like, remember when the fucking mad money guy was on Fox News or whatever, and he was Jim like, Kramer. the union, Jim Kramer, well, the, the former trot, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, um, the union will dictate the schedule and nobody will want to work second or third shift. It's like, make their nightmare come true. Go in and demand that all the workers work first shift for $65 (laughs) an hour. I swear to God. Yeah. You'll, you'll see some pay raises for sure. You will. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah. But going back to the thought of beginning, uh, like starting wages, we've got this, uh, Tom of Tom and Jerry, uh, cartoon still where tom is got his arms crossed but the uh, let's start actually at the top the boss says your salary won't be very good starting out is that okay me and then there's the photo of, of tom it says my performance won't be very good until it is is that okay <laughs> hell yeah i'm just going back to the classic only work as hard as you're paid folks exactly i love this picture of tom because it's such a it's such a goofy expression <laughs> It's very much just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did have such expressive eyes in those uh, fucking, you know, I, I'm one of those guys. I, I, I'll go to bat for old school animation. Hand-drawn cell animation is fucking tight. And oh, uh, yeah. labor intensification is the reason you don't see this fucking beautiful art on your TV screens anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, no, that, that shit rules. So our next one, this is just a couple of tweets, <laughs> which I just love this response. So it's one of Jordan Peterson's inane 
nonsense lines where so he's responding to a quote here it's okay to be a man it's not okay it's necessary you go around cities and see all these buildings go up these men they're doing impossible things they're working on the sewers they're up on the power lines in the storms in the rain (laughs) and and then this guy's at still reezy responds Bro, you're not even forklift certified. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking owned, bro. You've never worn a hard hat. You don't even have a chauffeur's license, much less a fucking CDL. So take your University of Toronto ass and <laughs> shove it up itself. <laughs> his, his, his weird, this fetishiz- this supposed fetishization of workers while proposing policies that only immiserate them and doing his insane, like, all meat diet benzo addict <laughs> constantly crying for no reason performance around all of this is just so bizarre. I just don't know yeah. how it fucking appeals to anybody anymore. Like I I don't care how fucking right wing reactionary of a worker you are. You should be able to take one look at Jordan B. Peterson and be like, this guy's never even seen a worker. This guy closes <laughs> yeah. his eyes when the custodians clean his office. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then the last one. What is what is this character's name? It's Skeletor. Skeletor. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I don't know superheroes or whatever this is from. <laughs> uh, but but I I have seen this meme around a bunch. So he's kind of like laying there, all like smug, it's like uh, making his little statement saying, uh, "Being sick is illegal in the United States. Medical bills are fines for that." And then running away until we meet again. I do love these <laughs> until we meet again uh, ones. <laughs> It, it's it's fun to have a postscript that says I just dropped some knowledge on you instead of a a, a preamble where you're like listen up fuckos I'm about to tweet something <laughs> yeah. genius like, <laughs> yeah 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 trying to do the like substitute teacher in every '90s TV show who like flips the chair around to sit at it backwards <laughs> you know who hated medical debt Jesus Christ that's right <laughs> that's correct Skeletor. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to be the end of the episode. I've got a little treat for you all, because if you have been paying attention to work, worker memes or whatever on like TikTok, you might have seen this little rap that was going around this little I hate my job rap. And then like one with, you know, there was two people on there. Well, apparently there are a bunch of replies, but no one smashed them all up together except for me. So I'm going to go ahead and put that at the end. Uh, but I want to thank everyone who's a patron for supporting us. And if you're not a patron, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash workstoppage and giving us $5 a month. It will give you access to our overtime episodes, our shop floor discussions, and it really helps us do the show because we will never run any ads. And that is because of your support. Um, again, write us a review somewhere, anywhere. Like, put it on your front door so when your landlord drops off the rent that they know who the, what the fuck is up, you know? <laughs> but Just anyway, play one of those, like, those goofy signposts that have, like, 20 different arrows pointing to cities of the world. Put up another city, like, pointer, but it's not pointing to a city. It's just your review of our podcast. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, just, <laughs> just, just play the show really loud in your house with the windows open and yell at your neighbors, are you hearing this? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, 
And to follow John on Twitter, go. Uh, he's at Facebook Villain. To follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod, uh, we also have a Facebook, so you can uh, go to Work Stoppage on Facebook. We actually have no reviews there, so there's actually a place to drop a review that oh. there aren't any currently. And uh, you know, listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, listen to Red Game Table, and as always, labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Solidarity out there. Solidarity, everybody. <laughs> Happy 420, everybody. Damn, I hate my job. I feel like quitting on the daily. Uh. Then I realize I can't quit because I got a baby. Uh. Sometimes I just want to lay around and be lazy. Uh. Supervisor got one more time to walk up talking crazy. Uh. Why you asking me to do some shit that's out of my pay grade? Why you volunteer my service knowing I ain't gonna stay late? On my case about mistakes that they made. Oh, hell no. I ain't putting no two weeks notice. I ain't even finna tell y'all. Dang, do we work together? Because this here is strange. Don't call me in your office if it ain't about my payday. Better yet, bitch, it better be about my payday. It's like in 60 minutes and you coming with $10. If I do something wrong, she gets to talking like my mama. One false move, then I'm out the door. I ain't got to stay, I'm on housing, ho. I'm the best worker up in this store, and you act like I do nothing, though. Who's staying like, cause I did not come here to say. You can kiss my ass while I'm skipping and walking away. Damn, I hate my job, I feel like selling fucking flowers up. Working nine to five, I swear it's taking up my power, huh? I just wanna quit, but mama did it, there's no power, uh. Fucking up my schedule, well, I swear I hate my manager. Why you gotta be an ass about me calling that I'm sick? You know that you got some extra people working on the shift. You think you gon' save me while I'm sick? I ain't no fucking bitch. You think you gon' test me one more time, the bitch? I fucking quit. Mouse feed, bills to pay, but still feel unfulfilled. I feel some way my boss keeps testing me. It's not the day I'm way too stressed to play and underpaid vote. Might just hit a Usain vote. Who they made about that though? My boss, I can't fake it no more. Kiss your ass, I won't do it no, huh? I'm a boss, but work for a boss. Man, I swear it ain't enough. Too talented, got plenty options. But I wish you the best of luck Ooh, I might have started a business Probably I already did it Yeah, this is just a means to an end Then I'm out good riddance What I gotta tell y'all folk I'm not working the overtime, nigga, nah, folk I done put up my hours, I wanna go home and shower So why the hell you trying to give a nigga false hope? Yeah, acting like you finna pay me good But knowing you could probably give a fuck less Got me clocking in and out And I promise y'all sucking I'm trying to get success Fool, but this job is full of shit I promise if I didn't have my kids I would've quit on my mama Maybe buy a couple tickets to the hit of Bahamas But that means y'all gotta pay me So that becomes a problem, right? But I guess that means I'm super glued into this hellhole So when people say, how do you like your new job? Just tell them, hell no Super califragilistic, where's my fucking dough, bitch? I do my work on time, but why my paycheck have a slow sis? My skin said I won't leave, but let me go and let you know this I'll disappear on that ass like magic, poof, bitch, focus, focus Won't be disrespected, no, I'm not your fucking slave Fuck for your right to be here, hold up the free land and pray I've got a special set of skills that I have you in a grave So I'm just quarterly report exactly what you finna say Time to walk up on me talking hella slick. I don't know why you so confident you think that I won't quit. I will leave, I will go. Ain't no call, ain't no show. Don't be talking to me about nothing if it ain't about that dough, about that money. You acting kind of funny. You talk to me crazy like you think that I'm a dummy. Never that. This job is hella wet. You'll be super surprised when you realize I'm gone. And I ain't coming back. <laughs>